Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. We're working well, not just within the airline industry, but across the hospitality sector. We want customers to feel confident that we're going to collectively take the very best care of them because people want to move. People want to get out. There's a cabin fever that's starting to come across the world, and we want to make sure we're serving it safely. That's Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta. He remembers all too well how 9-11 affected his industry, and he's confident that his airline will bounce back again so he can return to profit-sharing with his employees, reinvesting in his fleet, and flying 200 million passengers a year. He spoke with Milken Institute and Faster Cures Chairman Mike Milken on Thursday, May 21st. Ed, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Mike. Before the coronavirus, Delta, visiting 50 countries or more, 800 airplanes around the world, serving 200 million passengers on an annual basis, 90,000 employees. That footprint you've adjusted dramatically during this coronavirus. Let me start with a simple question that I know you think about every day. When can consumers fly again with confidence and safety? Well, in my opinion, consumers can fly with confidence and safety today. In fact, we are flying currently 45,000 to 50,000 customers a day on our network. We have taken extraordinary measures to improve the overall quality of the experience. The planes are sanitized. They are fogged before every flight. We have capped load factors at 60% to provide for distance and space on board our planes, and we've made that a hard commitment to cap. We board actually from the back to the front, so people don't need to worry about passing in front of people. And we've really adjusted a lot of the amenities. We're requiring masks on board our planes. And the reason I go through all those steps is that security and safety, that's our DNA. That's our core of our franchise. And we are taking the same measures towards the personal safety of our customers on board our planes, just as we do the flight safety of the experience. Multi-multi-layers of protection for the safety of the flight and multi-multi-layers of protection for the safety of the customer. Now, you had 90,000 employees in January. How many employees do you have today? Uh, We still have 90,000, I'm proud to say, Mike. Obviously, your first effort here was not only the safety and convenience of passengers, but the safety of your own employees. That's right. How have you interacted with them as you've kept all your employees in place during the last few months? Well, the reason we've been able to keep our employees in place was the incredibly strategic decision-making that that our federal government leaders displayed when they approved the CARES Act. From the president, his administration, Secretary Mnuchin, bipartisan support on the Hill, they saw the importance of the airline industry to the restart of our economy. We're a country that is based on mobility and freedom of movement, and we need to make certain that the airlines are in position when the economy is ready to start back up again. So they gave us the funding in the payroll support program to be able to keep our employees in place for the next six months and not to take any pay rate reductions for the next six months. And 
have time to understand the full scope of the pandemic, what the advances will be on the scientific side and the vaccines as we talk and what the duration of this will be so that we don't make any knee-jerk decisions or reactions to the fact that our revenues are at historic lows. We're operating today maybe only about 10% of our normal revenue stream. So the employees are appreciative of the government support. They're appreciative of the airline, uh, what we're doing to keep them engaged. Many of them actually have taken voluntary leaves of absence while they're still employed with the airline. Today, we have about 40,000, almost half our staff, have taken voluntary leaves without pay for anywhere from 30 days to a year, realizing that we are in a cash crisis. Despite the payroll support program, that's a finite amount that will run out at some point. So our team's doing an amazing job. We always like to say we've got the best employees in uh, the industry, and this crisis is certainly showing us that. You have created an unusual relationship with your employees by making them partners. And if I remember correctly, the employees receive 15% of the profits of the company. So it's based on what happened the previous year. 2019 was a great year, and the employees were due a great deal of money in the first quarter, I believe, of this year. What happened? Why did you set up that arrangement? How have the employees responded? Has it worked for you? Oh, absolutely. After 9-11, which we all thought was the great crisis of our lifetime, and little did we know the pandemic was going to make that look like a relatively modest speed bump to our industry. The U.S. airline industry was in fairly deep trouble, and many of the airlines went through a restructuring process, including Delta, in the uh, early 2000s. We had to take some pretty significant pay reductions. There were significant job losses across the board. We made the commitment at that point that when we got our company back on its feet, we start to make profits again. The people who made the biggest sacrifice, which were the employees themselves, would receive the first fruits and the returns on those efforts. And so that's when we put in the profit sharing plan in 2005. And when we got the business turned around a couple of years after that, we were able to generate substantial sums through the profit sharing arrangement. This past February, we always paid on Valentine's Day. We paid our 90,000 employees $1.6 billion. That was the equivalent of a 16% bonus. And that goes only to the frontline workers. None of the management members participate in that. We celebrated that day. It seems like it's a long time ago at this point, but you know, I still smile when I think about that. That was the biggest profit-sharing payment in our history and the airline industry history. And candidly, we've not found a bigger one in corporate America. And it's been you know, running in that range, $1 billion to $1.5 billion each of the last four or five years. So the employees know that when we're now in a difficult time, we're not going to pay profit-sharing this year. So when times are good, we celebrate. When times are tough, we sacrifice together. In the late 60s, early 70s, we initiated the creation of what was called airline equipment certificates, which were modeled after the railroads. So that if a company got into financial trouble, you still had your asset. Large percentage of all the railroads in America had gone bankrupt in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and it helped finance that industry. Right. Harold Janine, who had built a company called ITT and became a management guru in the process, often said leadership can make a lot of mistakes. 
But one of the mistakes they cannot make is running out of money. And I know you and your team have done a number of things to shore up the financial position of Delta to make sure that not only you sustain yourself, but you can come back to full operations. How has that process worked internally over the last three to four months? Second only to the protection of the safety and the well-being of our people and our customers, the next area that we focused on is the protection of our cash and our liquidity. And fortunately, as we went through the last decade, we were very disciplined on our financial strategy. We made certain that we paid our debt levels down. We were able in 2015 to regain investment grade status again after going through a bankruptcy you know, less than 10 years earlier, which is quite a feat. I think there was only one other investment grade airline in the country that was Southwest Airlines, which has been able to maintain it. So we had earned back the credibility on Wall Street and the confidence that the, the business plan and the management team executing the plan were running it with the proper set of financial objectives. We uh, went into this crisis that we're now in in a strong way as a result. We were able to raise over the last 60 days, probably close to $10 billion in the markets in fresh money, as well as drawn down credit lines. We are still actively raising some additional funds in the current quarter. And at the end of June, we anticipate having about $14 billion in the bank. It sounds like an awful lot of money, but the reality is our cash burn has also been significant, given that we don't have a lot of revenue coming in the door. So we're going to stay ahead of this crisis. As you know, Mike, the time you don't want to be raising money is when you need it. So we're going to raise as much as we can before we absolutely need it. We want to make sure we go through the winter with plenty of cash in the bank and get out the other side when the virus is at a level that's contained and people feel confident they can start to travel and move at scale. It's going to take undoubtedly two to three years before you'll see air traffic get back to anything close to what we saw last year because there will be a lot of damage in the airline industry as a whole. But this is a time when airlines decisions matter for the long term. And we're going to be prudent. We're going to be cautious. But we're also going to be aggressive, make sure that we're protecting our future. And when customers are ready to travel, you be certain that Delta is going to be ready to take them. So, Ed, we hope that you'll be back to normal much quicker than two to three years. I myself and the entire 10 centers in the Milken Institute and our medical foundations around the world are working very hard, as is the entire bioscience community, to have a solution for this virus as soon as possible. One of the things that I don't think people realize is that it's quite possible on a financial standpoint that Delta was in the strongest position it had ever been in in its history ending 2019. And that not only allowed you to put yourself in this position to raise capital and make sure you have financial resources, but that financial strength allowed you to deploy safety measures to benefit both your own family of workers and customers. One of the things that happens during these crises is a chance to look at how you operate, what you're doing. If you have the financial wherewithal, can you accelerate plans? And how have your own employees contributed to your innovation going forward as to how you're going to run your operations? 
as we have talked about protecting our people and our customers, protecting our cash, the third P in our strategy is protecting our future. And looking for areas where we can actually pull our future forward. One of the challenges we have in our industry is infrastructure. The state of the country's airports are overcrowded and underinvested in historically. And at Delta, we are in the middle of a massive reinvestment of $15 billion to rebuild LAX, LaGuardia, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, and Detroit and Atlanta. We've got massive investments going on. But the challenge with doing all those builds is that you're having to build and operate at the same time while we're at peak capacity. We are taking advantage while the business is at a lull to accelerate the investment in the airport infrastructure space. And we can actually pull the timelines in to get those airport projects complete. LAX desperately needs better facilities. We thought we would take five to six years to get done. Hopefully by the end of 2022, early 2023, you'll have a completely new airport experience, Terminal 2 and Terminal 3 at LAX, and it'll be state-of-the-art, and it's going to be fabulous. We're doing the same thing at LaGuardia Airport. Not only are you pulling your future forward, you're able to cut a lot of cost out because in construction, time is money. So that's one area that we're spending a lot of time accelerating and not pulling back from, but actually stepping into our future. Technology is another area where we run large volumes of people, 200 million customers a year, big technology applications. While the usage of the technology is down, it allows us to get a lot more technology development and implementation and faster in our digital experience. And then on the other question, you asked about our people. I've got a open door with my employees. I hear from my employees constantly, whether it's email or text or as well as customers and anyone else. I don't try to hide from them. I actually embrace their feedback. And I had a flight attendant about a month ago sent me a note, you know, shouldn't we board the planes from the back first? And my initial reaction was, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We only have a handful of high paying customers. I don't want to upset those that we've got left. But as I thought about it through her lens and through the lens of customer and safety, I said, she makes absolute perfect sense. And uh, I met with my management team that next morning, and we talked about it, and we implemented it the next day. And so now, and what you see is all the airlines have followed our lead because of that one flight attendant that sent me that email. Everybody is boarding from the back of the airplane to the front in order to avoid people walking by and coming in contact with people sitting in front and actually board our first-class cabin last. So just a very simple illustration of how we take employee feedback and we put it to use and it's changed how an industry is operating. Now, that's not going to last forever, but certainly it's going to last for the next year or so until we we're to a position where our business is fully back to normal. In terms of your interaction with other airlines, has there been increased interaction in the bioscience area, biotech, pharma, and academic research centers around the world? You have an environment, really, that has never existed before. Companies open their patents to allow others to manufacture their product, generic manufacturers. You've seen that with Gilead, partnership on chemical compounds that are held by different pharma or biotech companies, cooperations such as the vaccine developed at Oxford University, where AstraZeneca announced they would manufacture 30 million doses, and now the United States BARDA also participating. What has the cooperation been between companies in the industry? And it's not just airlines you interact with. Obviously, you're interacting with hotels, 
ground transportation and rental car companies. Has this interaction increased as people continue to look for solutions, not only to make their own employees safe, but also so that the traveler will feel safe? Oh, that's a great point. And I'm constantly struck by the time we're living in that we are all supposed to be isolating in place and keeping our distance from one another. I think it has brought so many people closer than ever. You talk about the great work and collaboration going on in the scientific field, and it really warms my heart to hear that. We're doing the same thing in our industry. The airlines together are trying to make as many of these safety protocols and measures uniform. We don't compete on safety in our business. We share learnings. We share details. None of us can afford to have anything go wrong. Something that happened at one of my competitors could impact my customer's perception of the safety of our product. And you think about the difference between the airlines and the automotive companies. The autos for three years would compete around safety and quality. And that's something we decided years ago we wouldn't do. And as a result, you see the safety of our experience. This is the safest form of transportation in the world is within the U.S. aviation system of any form of transportation. And we're taking that same basis to this crisis. First thing we did is we, uh, all the CEOs spent an enormous amount of time in March together. We were on the phone many times a day, every day. We're now working with TSA as to how to accommodate the distancing requirements going through a security screen. When you think about TSA, that was an agency born after 9-11. And so there will certainly be agencies and protocols born from this pandemic. But one of the things that TSA does is they run everything counter to social distance. Their role in life is to slow people down, to scan them, to touch them, pat them down, to make certain there's nothing that's going to challenge the physical security of the people or the flight. But in a world of, of a pandemic, they have to do it a little more sensitively and rethink how they're screening to make certain that they're not scaring people or making people not want to fly. So we've been working closely as an industry with the TSA administrator and making changes and trying to help him through the process because that has big impact on our customers' confidence in travel. One of the things that we recommended just last week is temperature screens. While there's a lot of debate as to whether temperature screens, the efficacy, if that's going to be a detector or if it's already too late for the virus, the reality is if someone has a temperature or fever, they shouldn't be flying. And I think we can all agree on that and trying to screen out whoever there is and then have that as part of the TSA process without going through a big manual uh, effort. I think they could do it pretty rapidly and pretty consistently. So we're working well as an industry. We all made the same statement to require masks on board our planes a couple of weeks ago. Unprecedented that the industry stood for it as one on a public hygiene uh, standard like that. And we'll continue. We'll stay in close touch with each other to make certain that anything that we can do to re-inspire travel not just within the airline industry, but across the hospitality sector. I'm right? talking a lot to the hotels, to Disney, to the casinos, to the theme parks, to the cruise lines, because we realize no one's going to travel just for the sake of traveling. They're going to travel to get someplace and do something. And we need to make certain that the hotels are treating the customers in the same way we're treating them. And we can learn from each other because they're the same customers going through a travel experience or the restaurants or the cruise ships. So we're all very, very close to the hospitality sector, realizing that we're learning from each other. And it's everything from the new standards of cleaning, of how we're getting it done in the most efficient process. Together, we want customers to feel confident that we're going to collectively take the very best care of them because people want to move. People want to get out. There's a cabin fever that's starting to come across the world 
and we want to make sure we're serving it safely. Let me approach it from a different standpoint. In the restaurant industry, you're seeing increasingly where people go to intermediaries, technology companies, open table, et cetera, that the amount of money that they have to pay where a reservation comes in through another source or a delivery is required makes it very difficult for them to sustain themselves with the reduction in the number of patrons, et cetera. In your case, you have large companies, multi-billion dollar companies now that are very active technology-wise in travel. What has happened with your direct relationship with people that might travel with Delta during this period of time versus coming in from intermediaries? And do you think that will change in the future? I think it will. We've already been seeing change happen over the last five or six years as our digital capabilities and offerings have expanded to our consumers. We find more and more of them coming direct to Delta. In fact, using 2019 as a baseline, we sold almost 50% of our tickets direct to consumers compared to five years ago. That number was probably half of that, maybe 25%. So there's been a massive shift online to Delta. And one of the reasons for that is that as we know our consumers better, we can provide them better offerings to meet their needs. We've got their information. We've got their loyalty. We have a great partnership with American Express, which gets embedded. And consumers trust Delta. They, they will still go out and check. We offer lowest price guarantees as well on our website, but they will check with some of the intermediaries. But increasingly, the intermediaries are taking a smaller and smaller part of the business. It's one of the reasons you've seen a lot of consolidation amongst the intermediaries, because they're the ones that are losing a lot of share. And consumers want more information. They want to have that direct relationship with the airline itself. And uh, while the virus is going to slow down, some of our consumers have slowed their travel patterns. We are well positioned to continue on that digital journey once consumers are ready to travel again. Ed, when I saw what you had done with people that had bought tickets and giving them the right to exchange to the future, that's gone a long way to creating that relationship. Yes, it has. In closing, Ed, I'm sure what you're thinking about is how the consumer is going to make the decision about increasing flying going forward. And as you've thought about that, is there anything that surprised you that's come up or is it pretty much the decisions that we would think you would be making? We're still learning. It's a great thought to close on. Uh, we're still learning about changes because I think right now consumers are uncertain about travel. They don't know if it's safe. They don't know what their risk to contracting the virus is. The government has done a great job of keeping everyone in their homes and now needing to figure out how to slowly start to build uh, confidence back into the system. The one thing that we do know, because we continue to pulse our customers, we continue to talk to them, and we continue to hear from them, the, the 40 or 50,000 that are flying Delta every single day, is that the strength of the brand is more important than ever. When you think about safety, when you think about an experience, when you think about the company, most of the airlines have not taken the step that we have to cap load factors at 60%. Those are statements that will define this period of time in consumers' minds. Who is willing to make the sacrifice? Yes, there's great incentive to put more people on the plane, as you know, the economics and the airline industry. But we've made the conscious decision not to and to bring more planes back 
rather than have people jeopardize the concern as to their safety on board a plane. And all of those decisions are in Delta's sweet spot. You know, our brand has been known as a premium brand, as having a different set of expectations from consumers as compared to many of the uh, airlines out there. And this is a time where customers are not trying to always find always the cheapest price, but who's going to get them there in the most reliable, safe manner with a set of expectations that they know Delta has the best chance of not just meeting, but exceeding in their opinion. And that's our hallmark. That's our calling card. That's our DNA is the quality of the experience, quality of the service. And I think consumers are going to make choices coming through this process. And it's difficult for the airlines to come out and tell consumers to fly. It's safe. There's going to have to be an awful lot of word of mouth and people are going to have to be discussing it. And we know they are to try to get people confident back in the experience. When we entered this crisis two months ago, one, one statement I said to our team is people look at crises and, and sometimes they think that crises build character. And I tell them my experience, and I've been through a number of crises in the airline industry over my career, they don't build character. They define character. And our character will be defined by the actions we take every single day in our customers' eyes and our fellow colleagues' eyes. And we will use this opportunity to not just further distinguish Delta, but define its future. And it's an honorable mission that we deploy, and it's one we're proud to serve. Ed, I want to congratulate you and your management team and your employees for how you've led during these three to four very difficult months and the months ahead. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you. Thank you for your kind words and we'll share your comments with our leadership team. And coming from you, that means a lot to all of us. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or MilkenInstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.